I'm quite positive we must give the order. I don't like it, but there it is. Gentlemen, I don't see how we can possibly do anything else but go. that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly movies for men. This is episode 183, and today we're going to be talking about The Longest Day. This great and fantastic film has an epic ensemble cast. John Wayne, Robert Ryan, Richard Burton, Robert Mitchum, Eddie Albert, and a cast of thousands. Literally, thousands. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my good and dear friend, Mark Akak Slover. The sooner you get started, the sooner this blasted podcast will be over. It, it's very bad for the dog. Down, <laughs> Kenneth. Down. <laughs> nice. Uh, and also joining us is our other good and dear friend, Ken Pips Roney. Well, you know, I've, we've faulted screenwriters and all, and it really bugs me on a movie like this where I've got to suspend my disbelief because, you know, they just throw in this these ludicrous plot points like, they had that whole scene where, like, that evil overlord dude, everybody's so afraid of him, they won't even wake him up from a nap because, like, you know, he's horrible. And then have that whole, like, you know, they got to create some drama. So, like, they get some nerdy weatherman to come in and talk about the weather report. I mean, that's a shark jumping moment. I and, mean, you know, a weather report, really? Drama? Ah. Well, I'll, 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 I'll want to see what you guys say about this movie. <laughs> nice. Oh, gosh. Well done. Uh, okay, guys, we are going to be talking about, uh, oh, and our other good dear friend, Jeff, uh, Ding Dong Muncie. <laughs> uh, he is uh, apparently indisposed tonight, so uh, we'll be, uh, he'll be sending his regrets and regards, as usual. I thought but, he was he's shot he's down doing, in the channel. Yeah, yeah he's shot down in the, in the White River. I thought he was doing the manly sport of fly fishing. That is a manly activity. Well, I think mm-hmm. either that or he's really upset over the uh, the comment I made on uh, when we, we were texting about that about the only fishing he does is off the menu of Red Lobster. But um, anyway, oh, cheese biscuits. Yeah, cheese the biscuits. biscuits. The biscuits. I right. love those cheese biscuits. Oh, so anyway, we are going to be talking about the longest day, and um, obviously because we're going to be having uh, the uh, God. What is it? The 70 what year of is it 70 or 60 77 72nd yeah. anniversary wow yeah see me and math wow of the of the uh d-day landings uh normandy and would you guys say that this is the the, the docudrama because it really kind of follows like the history and everything like that they're using the real characters and so on and so forth yeah, I I think it falls into the category of something like Tora Tora Tora. Yeah, yeah, that type of a a movie versus, um, versus you know Midway. You could say it was a docudrama, but, um, but yeah, I would say it falls into that that type of a category along the line. And you know, this was this is a monster movie um, when Hollywood was still 
making monster movies of this scope and scale. So, yeah, I would say it's a docudrama. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, when I said a cast of thousands, um, literally yeah. there were. I think they said they uh, borrowed about, what, 23,000 troops from the American Army. Um, Brits, French. In, yeah. So it's, I mean, it was it was a huge undertaking. It was a big risk that, um, uh, you know, that the studios took on this. As a matter of fact, there's some trivia on this that I'll talk about later because it, ironically, when I got up this morning, I had a rough night last night, so I just kind of lounged on the couch and I thought, well, I'm going to watch this other movie that I hadn't seen in like ages, and it was Cleopatra. <laughs> oh, with uh, that's, a, that's a that's a contemporary to this movie. Yes, yep. it is, and it wasn't until after I got done watching that, which was a again, you know, cast of thousands, and that's when they made movies like this back then. I mean, they you know there no more CGI, so when you saw those landings on Normandy Beach where you saw you know thousands of people charging up the beaches there were literally thousands of people charging up the beach and what's amazing about it is when they do those aerial shots you know like some of the ones that we saw it, it's it's incredible um you know what they what they're able to yeah. do because we, we know the technological limits we're watching this we when you watch this you know that you know it's 1961 62 yeah. they they're doing what i mean they did a very good job uh you know, recreating the, the, the visuals and all. Um, but, yeah, you have to have a whole lot of people to pull that off. Right. Well, now, I, guess, I want to throw in just a point. Sure. When you say it's a docudrama, it's the, – the thing about this movie is it is based straight out of the book, The Longest Day, by Cornelius Ryan. Cornelius Ryan is a very popular history writer back, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, he did this and they, you know, turned it into a movie. He also did A Bridge Too Far. He's the one that wrote the book, A Bridge Too Far, which I read, which they mined in the similar fashion to make the script and the characters and the dialogue for the movie The Longest Day, which we reviewed a couple of years back. Right. He also did a movie called The Last Battle, which is all about the Battle of Berlin and the fall of Germany in World War II. It would make a nice movie, but no one's touched it. Right. Well, this is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, like I said, this is 1962 when it was made. It's uh, two hours and 58 minutes, so it, it's, a, it's a long one. And um, there were multiple directors in this one. Uh, I, I did like the, uh, the one, one of the uh, director's names is uh, Ken Anakin, obviously the uh, great-grandfather of Darth Vader. And... Um, Wow, just I do you do. Just Okay. All right. <laughs> wow. It's a rough yeah. it's a rough crowd wow. tonight. <laughs> Played that card, huh? I sure <laughs> did. Uh but uh Daryl Zanuck, uh, uncredited in this as well. But um uh many, you know, different a whole bunch of different directors were involved and they kinda all directed uh Ken Anakin did the British um stuff, uh Andrew Martin did American, Bernard Vicky did the German stuff, and then uh, Zanuck, I don't know, he was uncredited, but evidently he was involved. But, again, this is this is a classic. I'm pretty sure we're not going to have any spoilers since, you know, obviously we know what happened at the end of the war or at the end of the battle. But um, some of the stuff I want to talk about in here, and obviously it's going to center a lot on uh, the movie, is uh, definitely just the, uh, you know, the, the technological hurdles that 
you know, that they had to go through on this in terms of just, I mean, they were literally restaging the invasion, um, if you will. And the other thing I want to talk about is a lot of the actors, because even at this time, uh, a lot of these actors were pretty well known. And you were looking at guys that just had bit parts. I mean, on the screen, maybe a minute uh, or a couple. I mean, Rod Steiger, he, you know, he has a scene on there and he's talking for what, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, maybe. And that's it. Boom. You never see him again. So, I mean, you had a lot of um, well-named actors that literally were showing up for cameos in this movie, which I, I thought was fascinating because you can't do this anymore. You cannot get these kind of, or at least at that time, you know, these are, you know, some of your top listed actors and, and, and there were a bunch, you know, I mean, the, the ones that I named were just, I, I thought, well, I got to pick somebody. <laughs> so, because there's, yeah. a, there's a whole, I mean, there's a huge, huge cast. Let, let, we should read off. I mean, if you want to, we should just read off the list that they've got like on Wikipedia. Just well, to give people an idea of who's in this. Let's take turns. Let's make, Someone start with the Americans. Uh, I'll start. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Just, yeah, just, you know, Rip them off. That, that well, I, I'm looking. I'm looking. Oh, I see. I see. Well, I'll read like the top ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, for each. Okay. Uh, Eddie Albert, Paul Anka, uh -huh. the singer. Uh, Richard Beimer, who I don't know who it is. Red Buttons, who was in a lot of movies back then. Gary Collins went on to big things. John Crawford, Mark Damon. Let's see, some other... Well, I'll go to the well-known ones. Fabian, the rock star, known for his perfect hair. Yes. Uh, Mel Ferrer, who went on to a lot of good roles. Henry Fonda, Steve Forrest, Jeffrey Hunter, who had a lot of good roles back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Dowell, Robert Mitchum, Tommy Sands, Robert Ryan, George Siegel, Rod Steiger, Tom Tyrone, or Tryone, Robert Wagner, John Wayne, and Stuart Whitman. And that's leaving about half of them out. Yeah. So. And you forgot Sel Mini and Robert Mitchum. Oh, yeah. Yes, so, I mean, yes. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, there's. Right over. Yeah. Sel Minio's in there, too. Well, and the thing was, is I remember George uh, Siegel was in this movie, and I literally just went right past him. And it finally dawned on me, I'm like, oh, that's his voice. He's so young in this movie. You don't really recognize him. For people either in or out of the military, if you take a whole bunch of people with distinctive features and looks and you all dress them in identical baggy uniforms and plop a helmet on their head, they lose a little bit of their unique personality. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but, yo, Mark, why don't you take the British? Okay, so the British actors. Um, we'll start with the mo one of the arguably the best known at the period, Richard Burton, who played a flight flying officer. Sean Connery, who sandwiched this role in right before he went to become to uh, do Doctor No, and and when uh, Steve, when you get to the Germans, I'm sure you'll point out two of two of uh, <laughs> Bond's nemesises are. Yes. In this movie, who knew? Yeah, um, Richard Dawson. You have to look very carefully for Richard Dawson, but yes, but uh, yeah, he's in there. He is in this movie. Um, Frank Finley, um, Bernard Fox, uh, again uncredited. Um, and I'm like you, uh, Ken. I'm leaving a number of people out. 
Um, Harry Landis, Peter Lawford, who played Lord Lovett, Michael Medwin, he was in a number of movies, character actor, Kenneth Moore, Richard Todd, Richard Wattis. There's one that's real interesting is Leslie DeLaspe. He's not an actor. But he's the piper in the movie. He's the bagpiper. He was yep. the queen's bagpiper at the time. Yeah, so he was actually the queen, Queen Elizabeth's bagpiper for the for the uh, for the for the crown, the crown bagpiper. So that's that's the Brits. And I mean, again, I left out about half. Yeah, those are just some of the names that pop off. Um, Peter Lawford, I think I hit. Yeah. So then you've got the French and the Germans, which Steve. Yeah, the Germans. Uh, I don't know any of the French, but the Germans. Uh, you've got, uh, as Mark said. Uh, couple of Bond nemesis in here. One is Gert Frobe. Uh, he plays a the coffee pot. Yeah, the coffee. <laughs> yeah, he was the coffee, coffee uh, German and um, played Goldfinger in Goldfinger. So, yep. and then you had, uh, where's he at? Uh, Kurt Juergens. Um, he played uh, uh, General uh, Blumentritt in this movie. And he was also, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the Bond character. But he was in um, Spy Who Loved Me. He was the that's uh, right. He was the bad guy in that one. For the life of me, I cannot remember what the heck that guy's name was, or the the character's name. But anyway, and then uh, the other one too, I've seen him in a lot of other stuff. Is uh, Peter Van Eyke. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of those things. Uh, if you saw him, you go, "Yep, I've seen that guy. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff." So, but uh, again, you know, like I said, huge cast in this, huge amazing that they're able to, you know, that they're able to pull these guys together. But, you know, we've talked about though, you know, the actors and everything, but the thing that I really kind of want to get into is that, you know, this was made, you know, less than 20 years after the, um, uh, the actual D-Day invasion. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting that they were able to, uh, bring in a lot of people that were still, um, you know, are still alive, they're still involved. It's, this isn't like a, you know, 40 years later and these guys are all ancient and decrepit because I think there are some of the actors that were in this actually, um, participated in the invade or in the, in the operation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting. And they had a lot of, um, those that were not necessarily in the movie acting, but they were doing a lot of the, uh, technical advising on both sides, both the French, Brits, Germans, um, and the Americans. And, you know, I, I just found that pretty fascinating that they're able to get everybody together to, to do those roles. And, and it's like, you know, we've talked about in some of these other movies, they treated everybody with respect, kind of like on uh bridge too far. Um, most of the Germans that you were dealing with were much on the higher level. You saw that much more on the German side. You're dealing with a very high level, high officers, you know, Rommel, Blumentritt, Runstedt, you know, these are the, you know, the movers and shakers of the, of the general staff back then. Um, so you didn't really see it too much through the eyes of the, um, you know, the average German soldier like you well, did. I've I got to beg to differ slightly. They, okay. I, th- I think that this movie did a better job than some similar movies in spreading the attention out between, you know, you'd have a, you'd ha- you know, you have a, substantial scene with a couple privates talking and then next thing you know it's Rommel talking to his aide de camp and then you're talking to some officers and then you're talking to a high ranking guy. They pop back and forth and it's kind of disconcerting. I'll warn you know 
listeners that are used to more modern treatment of things of this sort, it's all subtitled. You know, you're not going to have, you know, all English. I mean, when it's a Frenchman on camera, they're speaking French. Yes. They're speaking German. And I thought, I, I, I had, I, I dwelled in on that fact that, you know, at one level, I'm thinking, oh, they're just talking to the, the high, higher ups. But then you have to go, no, not really. But obviously, you know, when you're talking like, you know, what, what's General Eisenhower saying? I think that has a little more impact than what, you know, Private Smith is saying to his buddy. Right. Yeah, I agree with you there. No, you're right. Well, I think another interesting factor with this movie, watching it, is we're all well-versed in the period. And the movie was made in 62, going back to your earlier uh, comment, Steve. So it's it's still fresh in the minds of many people. Um, what I think, I, I was really watching this movie from the perspective of when it was made, people knew this. They had a working knowledge. Even if you only, if you'd had a high school degree, you you had a working knowledge of, of D-Day. You had read enough. You had seen things about it. It had been taught in school. And I was watching this movie thinking to myself, you know, I think this movie would be very confusing for most um, most folks who were born in the last uh, 20, 25 years because it's easy for us to follow. We know the players. It was easy right. for people to follow at the time. But I think this is a movie that... Um, Unfortunately, since it's not taught um, and barely taught, uh, you'd have to take a survey course in college or a detail course, a 300-level course in college to get some details on it. Um, I think this movie suffers from from age in that respect. And that I'm not, when I say in age, I'm not knocking the movie, but what I'm pointing out is time has not been good to this because people don't know the history anymore. Right. And I, and I will say that if I want to make a comparison between this and, say, A Bridge Too Far, which are very much along the same lines of mm-hmm. uh, the type of movies that they were doing, you know, it's kind of like that high overview level. I, I The thing that – I guess the thing that kind of bothered me a little bit about the uh, this one here, um, and this isn't, like I said, this isn't a, a slam on the movie, but I think it was maybe at the, the way the directors were handling it or whatever, but it seemed like um, there was a lot of speechifying, if you will. There was a lot of... Just know, ask John Wayne. Yeah, oh, I God. mean, yeah, I mean, some of that stuff. I, I mean, he was he was just ladling it on. I mean... <laughs> All right, Pilgrim, get yeah. in your... For a glider, yeah. we gotta go take care of some engines. I mean, Nazi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I love John Wayne. Yeah, but I thought, you know, and he had it out for Zanuck. There's a whole backstory between yeah. between he and Zanuck, and he 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 gigged Zanuck hard for pay, and Zanuck got him back in the credits. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's some great backstory kind of stuff, but then you have those moments where you're like. Nobody actually said that. There is no effing way yeah. anyone said that. Right. And it and it wasn't even just John Wayne. It was even uh well like I said, kinda like that uh that scene that I mentioned that uh Rod Steiger's in for like, you know, ninety seconds. Yeah. He goes on this like look at this gentleman. 
we'll be remembering this for the rest of our nobody did that okay <laughs> this was i really i have to just sit there and think no one was really up there giving a giving that kind of a speech to the to the bridge crew it just it just seemed a little over the top and, and i get it yeah it's part of the period correct and it, it, it was you're trying the, to set a mood right it, it and you want to the give of it, it was like theater it well yeah all, and you want to yeah. give these actors some line other than that's a damn that's a hell of a lot of ships out there huh bob <laughs> i mean yeah so, so uh, you know you got him yeah so you might as well give him some meaty line yeah but it was uh, like i said but there was a lot of that yeah. in this movie and i don't want to like i said it just it, it and it's like i i appreciate it for what it is it it does i could see how but like Going back to what you said, it, it may not it may not fly well with the younger crowd, particularly somebody who just didn't really know much about the um, about the period. Because um, I mean, I think from that standpoint, it's dated. Some of the acting's a little on the dated side. Um, but but I mean, I think in terms of just the overall, you know, from a from a techie standpoint. You know, looking at all the equipment and everything that's out there, I mean, it's 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 spot on. It's perfect. Um, well, because probably hadn't really changed all that much, and and you know the the intervening periods. I mean, you had, you know, obviously much more modern aircraft, but I mean, really, um, heck, were we even still using the M1 up until '62, or maybe we were using? Yeah, the M14. we had the M14. M14 at that point. So, but yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it there it it wasn't this big leap, so they were still able to. You know, by and large, use um, you know American troops. You know, say here, you don't really have to change out much. Um, hey, for what it's worth, I've got up in my attic a 1959 Army Ordnance Illustrated Guide that my dad had when he was in the Guard after his service in the Korean, Korean period, and it has everything from M3 grease guns to like Nike Zeus rockets. <laughs> and yeah, were there M1s? Yeah, they were yep. still being used. They were on the roster. M3s, 45s, all that gear. But then you also had the more modern stuff, obviously, too. But yeah, it was an interesting period because we hadn't quite made, you know, it still looked, well, I mean, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, we were soldiers. I mean, we were soldiers set just a few years after this. Yep. Yep. In the Adrang Valley. Yeah, yeah, but they hadn't really integrated air mobile doctrine and things like that. Right. So it, it was a lot like, I mean, war, you know, it still felt a lot like World War II, I think, to the typical person in the Army back then. Yeah. Yeah, it, it you know, I think, and it is, you know, because I think we're going to get the question and we're going to have to deal with it. You know, where does it, how does it, you have this movie, you have Saving Private Ryan, and then over on a set aside, um, because it was a TV miniseries, but you have Band of Brothers. You know, what I, what I you always give this movie a lot of credit for is, in, in, like movies of this ilk, I don't think other movies like Private Ryan would have gotten made if this movie hadn't been made. Um, and it's to your point, Steve, it, it, it has a lot of the sweeping grandiosity. You've got the core and division and army level. And then, yeah, it jumps down, like Ken said, into these vignettes, but this, this really is a sweeping strategic level, three hour, 
here's the whole invasion of Normandy, you know, and then, then you set it against Saving Private Ryan and, and, um, Band of Brothers. And those are, those are focused on the air landings for Band of Brothers and, and the Omaha Beach assault and Saving Private Ryan. But this movie, I give it a lot of credit in, you know, Zanuck, Zanuck took a book, which is a very good book. If you've not read Cornelius Ryan's works, we, I think we can all say highly recommend them. And said, I'm going to put together this book and we are going to recreate the invasion of Normandy, Normandy. Um, and it's, if you look at it from that perspective, it is breathtaking in its scope and scale and that it, it, for three hours, it holds your interest. It's fairly coherent. Um, and it moves along. The pacing is not, the pacing is not terrible, terrible for this movie and it could have gotten bogged down. So it's impressive in that regards. Right. No, that's a good point. I mean, I think the pacing's well done because like I said, they do, uh, they do a pretty good job of uh, showing, you know, like the buildup and the tension and everything. And, uh, and he's not an actor, but I tell you, the guy that got for Eisenhower, you'd swear to God, oh. it was Eisenhower. Looked just like him. Yeah. Um, now, it's not going to have the Saving Private Ryan violence. This is 1960s right. violence. Yeah. Guys just fall over. Things just blow up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that said, it it does give you, I think, a fairly good overview of the entire the entire invasion, you know, as much as you can in three hours. With obviously right. the main focuses being how do the Germans react, the British getting off the beach, um, Pegasus Bridge, the air landings, and Omaha Beach with a nod and a wink to Utah. Right. Yeah, and that's pretty much what Utah got was a nod and a wink. Yeah. Um, We're on the wrong beach. Yeah. Yeah, but but all that said. I think one of the things in, that's a positive is just the scope and scale, and I think it's it's a it's very good in that sense. I think one of the things that hurts it, going back to the actors, is they become because you, we read off the list of the actors, it, it, they become a distraction. They're playing real people, right? But. It, it it's such a who's who of actors that you're sitting there, and I was when I was watching it again, going, "Wait, is that is that Red Buttons? Yeah, <laughs> is, is is that that's Robert Ryan? Yeah." So I would lose the string of the movie. Right. So you, you would rather just hire do some central casting? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it just it. I think Zanuck went into the present. Yeah, it dragged me into the present, and I think Zanuck. I understand why he did it, but I think he went too deep into the bench. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think some of the best actors are the Germans. I, I, there's something about the way the, the director, I, I don't know if it was the director or whatever, the way the German stuff is shot, the way they act, they're, they are scripted and blocked and acted, it's just very efficient. No kidding, they're Germans. <laughs> um, I know. But there's something very, very crisp and very effective. Also, you get you get this sense from the actors that they're realizing 
everything that they thought they had under control is now spinning out of control. Right. Uh, those, those scenes are good, and yeah. there's a number of them where it's, you know, you know, somebody back at headquarters, and, you know, they're all spit and polished and, you know, leaning back on their fine desk in the, you know, chalet or whatever they're staying in, you know, issuing these orders, and it's got no bearing on reality anymore. The people right. up front, I mean, the, that great dialogue between, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, oh, Pip Priller? No, Pluscott. Pluscott. <laughs> Those 5,000 yeah. ships you say the Allies don't have? Yeah. <laughs> well, they're here. Yeah, the, Pluscott's a, a German officer. He's in charge of a you know coast defense unit. He's in his bunker looking out, you know, just describing to the guy back again, back at, you know, you know, the palace who's, you know, sipping his coffee and, you know, telling him there's nothing to be worried about. And, well, his experience was different. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's like, and Pip's Priller, too, the, yes. the, the, the Luftwaffe pilot, where he's just basically telling everybody, you got your head so far up your ass, and I don't really care what you think, and I don't care if I'm insubordinate, because I'm probably not coming back from this mission, so screw you, I'm going home. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and that guy was definitely the... Uh, he was the uh, the chief of angry acting. I think I think, oh. I think I think Shatner got inspiration from him. Oh, he was great angry acting. Oh, yes. Man. You yes. know, I wonder if could German people even understand what the hell he was saying? Oh, he was spitting. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's the whole thing of like ring ring, pick it up. Fly off to your death. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah, exactly. But but it Again, I, again, I, I understand why they did it. It's it's kind of neat if you knew the actors because we all grew up in that era. If you're if you're my son's age, other than John Wayne and a couple of them, n- very few of them are going to reson- resonate with you. Right, right. But it, it does it does get a little distracting, and I'm not saying that's a negative. It's just it's just a point of fact that if you grew up and you're a certain age, you're like, wait a minute, is that Fabian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Roddy McDowell without the makeup. Well, yeah, the thing he, is, Roddy McDowell, as soon as he starts talking, boom, you know it's him. Yeah. That, could, that guy could not disguise his voice. He's got one of the most unique voices. Yeah. You know, in, in, in acting. So. Hey, guys, do me a favor real quick. Uh, just kind of continue talking. I got a. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually do have to put a little lotion on my skin because my tattoo is kind of drying out. I got a new one. Put the lotion on it. Lotion on the skin. Exactly. All right. I'll be right back. So go ahead and continue without me. Mark, has Steve dug a pit in his basement yet? Um, you know, that's a really good question. He should. I don't think, I don't think he has because he would inevitably attract spiders. That's true. The pit would attract, actually a a massive web. So yeah. yeah. So, you know, Shelob would move in and that's all she wrote. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It would, it would be ugly. Um, so, I mean, what do you, when you look at, did, did that bother you, Ken? The, the number of big names, did that throw you for a loop in this movie at all? No, not really. Cause you know, I've seen it when I was a kid, I've seen it a few times off and on over the years. I, I, it wasn't a surprise for me. I knew, you know, coming in that, okay, John Wayne's in here and John Wayne's doing the John Wayne thing. Right. Uh, but you got to, you know, at the same time, you got John Wayne doing the John Wayne thing. You've got some other people that are, I mean, they're big name actors, but they're, they're not 
playing to type per se. They're, you know, they're just taking on their role and trying to do the best as the character that they've got. That's but a really they good also, point. They also got, uh, you commented about Eisenhower. I'm just so, you know, Bradley. I mean, yep. they got guys that, I mean, they look, yeah, you know, they're, they're doppelgangers. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're not actors of any, you know, funny, anybody, you know, any name or anything, but they, they did a good job. Right. Uh, not that they're on the screen for a long time. Like I sort of joked in the beginning. I mean, Eisenhower's in here for, you know, basically a, a couple of scenes getting a weather report to decide if he's going to go or not. Yeah. Now, and same with Monty. Yeah. The guy looked like Monty. Yes, he did. And he just has go. I say go. And that's it. He's done. That's the only time you see Monty in this movie. Yeah. And that's actually, I think that was actually kind of well done because, not to get all deep into the history, but we are getting deep in history because that's mm. who we are. But, you know, they show the drama. The dramatic issue here on the Allied side is do we go or do we don't go? Is the weather right. going to hold up? Is the storm going to blow in? What's going to happen? And once that decision is made, the drama at the high level shifts to the German side. Right. Uncertainty. Is this the real invasion? You know, you know, can we get the Fuhrer to release the Panzers? I mean, all that kind of stuff. So most of the high level, you know, general to general sort of talking for most of the movie is on the German side. Uh, on the American side, you've got a few, you know, high level officers doing their thing, but it's more of the man on the spot, you know, like Robert Mitchum's character or uh, Henry Fonda's character. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're generals, but they're like on a beach, you know, under fire, trying to like right. get off the beach. So that's well, a different kind of drama. And I think, and you raise two really good points: is there's an interesting pivot. The drama for the Allies is the weather, and then it pivots to they're going to do it. So the invasion starts, and then the shock and incredulity of the Germans that this can't they, they they can't be invading Normandy that makes no sense yeah. and that I think that dynamic is really well played out from the concern for the Allies on the beginning to the concern at the back half of the movie that that tension and that worry is is demonstrated and I think presented very well yeah no it, it actually just reminded me of a uh, you know I listen to audio books all the time the the, the uh, what I just finished called Brothers in Arms. It's about uh, Eisenhower, Patton, and Bradley. And yeah. Two. I mean, you know, their lives, it's biographies of each of them, and then how they interacted over the years. But a thing that they pointed out in that is, you know, once Eisenhower made the decision to go, he had nothing to do for like 48 hours. I yes. mean, well, I, you know, he went out and visited troops and things like that, but like he had nothing to do because he wasn't going to impact anything. It was just a right. matter of saying, okay, at the highest level, should we go? And that, like I said, they got a guy that looks just like him. And I've got good trivia. You, you might know the trivia I'm going to talk about Eisenhower. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, and the other, you know, when you mentioned good actors, you know, the, the, the guy who I thought really did, I really liked his role and the way he delivered it. Um, was Robert Mitchum as Norman Coda. Yeah. He, I thought he was, he was outstanding. Yeah. No, without a doubt. He definitely was the best one. I think him and Eddie Albert were the ones that I think were probably the two best. 
Yeah, and they played off each other very well. Right. Yes. And then he, then an unfortunate death occurred. Yes. Yeah, well, but sp- speaking of all, I, I do know one little piece of trivia I found out years ago is Eddie Albert was a landing craft yep. operator at Tarawa in the Pacific. Yep. He wasn't in Europe, but he was a World War II vet. Yep. And then he went on to make Green Acres. Yeah. Mr. Haney and Arnold the Pig. <laughs> I tell you that movie. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I just, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I just saw Eddie Albert and um, there was a movie streaming on uh, Amazon prime had him and uh, Oh, it's driving me nuts. Um, and it popped on uh, streaming and I'm trying to find the name of it. Where was it set? What battle or it, whatever? It's they're like in France and Eddie, Eddie Albert actually kind of plays this. Um, kind of a useless lieutenant, and the other guy that's in it. Uh, what was the who was the uh the dude in City Slickers? The old guy. Um, uh, oh, Jack Palance. Yeah, Jack Palance is in this. Attack. Attack. Yes, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Nineteen fifty-six. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I was way off. Okay, so it was yeah. black and white in fifty-six. So it's yeah, it's an old one, and I remember seeing it as a kid, and. uh and oh, you know who else is in? It's Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin's in it. Okay. Uh, he's got a uh, kind of a bit role, but uh, yeah, Eddie Albert does not play a redeeming character in that movie. So, hmm. but anyway. well, I, I'm gonna make. I'd like to throw out a, a little comment about this movie. When I was a kid, you talked about when you were a kid. The longest day I can remember as a little kid watching it. But you know, and again, I'm an old guy. I grew up. I was a kid in the '60s. I remember this stuff. This would have been like. The special edition, like Sunday night at the movie, they would clear the entire schedule out just to show this movie. They would only yes. did it a few times because you had to, like, again, a network, you know, one of the three networks, there's only three of them, had to say, like, we're going to show this movie. And so they would have to clear out, you know, to get the commercials in and everything else. You know, it was a big thing. They'd advertise it in advance and everything else. And I still remember, I think this is the first movie I can remember as a little kid. You've got the British beach scenes with Sean Connery and the other folks. And, of course, you've got the Piper. And the Piper gets out. He's puffing away at the pipes. And as a little kid, I mean, I'd watch a bunch of war movies, but I, I, I'm not positive I did this, but I'm pretty sure I turned to my dad and went, Daddy, why is he doing that? Why is he making that noise? The Germans will know they're coming. They'll shoot him. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's what they do. They're British. Uh, what, what, what are British? You know, they, people like bagpipes, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you got to let them know you're coming. Yeah, got to let them know. Sporting. It's more sporting. Yes, it's more sporting. Yeah. Uh, guys, are going to do a little bit of trivia on this. Oh, yeah. And um, according to the trivia, and again, some it's of this a thing, lot. Uh, it's a lot, so I'm just picking out a few. Uh, but according to this, Dwight D. Eisenhower walked out of the film after only a few minutes, frustrated by the inaccuracies, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, this, I think, is really cool. While cleaning, uh, I'm sorry, while clearing a section of the Normandy beach near Point du Hoc, the film crews unearthed a tank that had been buried in the sand since the original invasion. Mechanics cleaned it off, fixed it up, and used it in the film as part of a British tank regiment. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Yep. Uh, Colonel Benjamin van der, van der Vert, 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 however you say that, uh, Vert, 
uh, was 27 years old at D-Day. He was disappointed to find out that he's being played in the movie by John Wayne since he was 17, since even after 17 years after D-Day, Vander Vert was still a decade younger than his, the 54-year-old Wayne. And did you see who they wanted to have in the role? Who would have been great? Heston. Yes. I think Heston would have been good. He would have been outstanding. Yeah. And he was young, relatively. Yeah. 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 He had been young enough. Yeah, he's young enough to pull the part. Yeah. Um, I like this. In his memoirs, Christopher Lee recalls being rejected for the role in the movie because he didn't look like a military man, despite the fact he served in the RAF during World War II. So, <laughs> go figure. And um, and here's the, I, I think this is interesting because, like I said, I had no idea until I was reading the trivia um, later today. Um, like I said, this morning, I got up and, you know, I said, I had, a, I had a rough night last night. So I was just like lounging on the couch, drinking coffee. And I thought, oh, look what's streaming, Cleopatra with uh, Richard Burton and uh, Elizabeth Taylor. And uh, which was and Roddy still, McDowell with Roddy McDowell, of course. And in, I like it. It's uh, in Italy for the filming of Cleopatra. Roddy McDowell became so frustrated with the numerous delays during production. He begged uh, Daryl F. Zanuck. Uh, for a part in this picture, just so he could do some work. And he ended up with a small role as an American soldier. Uh, Richard Burton, who was also filming Cleopatra, also took the opportunity caused by the long delays to take a cameo as RAF pilot, which I think is really kind of funny and ironic, because like I said, I had no idea until I read this. I was like, oh, that's pretty damn funny. Well, also we got a comment, you know, Cleo, the movie Cleopatra was like the hot mess of circa 1960. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It, it's a movie that went on and on and on, way over budget. It was overblown. You had the whole Liz and you know, Burton. Burton romance off and on. Uh, the movie pretty much sucked, but it was a, one of these, again, cast a thousand, spectacle yeah. Probably the tail end of the whole sword and sandal thing that was really popular in the fifties, right? And, and then that probably helped put a put a stake in it. Yeah, and Cleopatra pretty much. Well, you might have still had. I think Spartacus came out about Spartacus, that. Spartacus, maybe Ben Hur. Yeah, but and, it it definitely it didn't do any favors. No. Well, I was amazed because I remember laying on the couch and Deb's laying there uh, with me. We're watching it and. Uh, there's that one scene, I don't know if you guys ever remember Cleopatra, but I thought for the time, there's a scene where she's like laying on this thing and she's just got basically a towel covering up half her butt. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, like half her butt cheeks hanging on. I'm thinking, damn, how did that get past the censor? I mean, because again, you got to remember, this is like 1962, 63. This um, is when the Hollywood, this is yeah. what you're saying is the end of the old Hollywood system. We've yeah. commented on it. Right up till this time, the system was kind of good. The censors were in charge. And then right about 1962-ish, 1963-ish, it's like, no. And then within a few years, it's Katie bar the door. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So back to, back to this movie, uh, but also to talk about Cleopatra, back to what you said, 20th Century Fox was taking a real gamble making The Longest Day. At $10 million – it was a hugely daring adventure, uh, but even more risky was Cleopatra, which was being filmed concurrently. This was to set Fox back uh, then at the then unprecedented sum of $40 million. Although, yeah. although Cleopatra did well at the box office, it was too expensive to recoup its costs and nearly bankrupted the studio. Fortunately, this film turned out to be one of Fox's biggest hits 
and helped offset the financial damage caused by the Egyptian epic. Wow. Yeah, because this one cost just under $8 million and netted or grossed over $50 million. And And again, folks, that's what you really have to put in the perspective about the time value of money because <laughs> yes. it's – Holy crap! I mean, ten million bucks. You can't get an actor in a movie for ten million bucks. No. You, you pretty much have to take nineteen sixty-two dollars and multiply them times about eight, yeah, seven or eight to equal modern sort of box office. Yeah. Well, and again, like I said, and then you get things like Troy, right? Which <laughs> you know, it's it's got its it's got its good parts, but. That's a, that's a whole nother. We should actually do that sometime. Just to, you know, that way we can talk about it. But again, you know, you're thinking ten million dollars. I, I mean, when you like I said, when you when they did those flyovers of the beach, you know, like when the when Pips and his wingmen are flying over. I mean, there mm-hmm. there there's a real plane flying over, and you're like, holy shit! Yeah, there's they're a lot strafing of about a brigade worth of troops. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like my god, there's a lot of people on that beach. And again, yeah. it's not CGI. It's real people, and it's thousands of people there. So, well, yeah, they had the U.S. Navy who was yeah. conducting operations. They said, "Sure, you can borrow the Sixth Fleet, right? Or the, whatever." You know, it, it. It. And that's the other thing is this was also a time when y- you could get people. You could just sure for a ham sandwich, and you know, we're not even going to charge you for the fuel. We'll sure we'll come by. Right. Yeah, it, it was a completely different uh, way of doing business back to the old, which you referenced earlier, Ken, even to the, to those types of things where deals were done and phone calls were made. The, the, the studio system um, was much more robust for, I think, this type of grandiose efforts. Right. Well, and, and I think that anybody reading the script and knowing who's behind it, I, I'm going to. If you were in government, if you're like in the French government, British government, American government, you knew you knew this was not going to portray you in a bad light. Right. So like, you know, was the U.S. Navy happy to contribute some cruisers and other ships? Sure, because they knew they would look good. This is, you know, and I, you know it's, it's in a living lifetime of people that were there. Same yeah. thing with the French. And this movie does have a, we haven't commented on it much, but it's got a strong French series of storylines between oh, yeah. the resistance yeah. fighters and just ordinary people caught up in the middle of this invasion. You know, there's a French commando unit. They go into great detail. I got to say that that town had the crap bombed out of it. It looked about yeah. as bombed out as a town and saving private Ryan. Right. And then he just blew up that whole building thing. Right. So no, it's, it's, there was a lot of support from yep. a governmental level for this movie. What other trivia do you have, Steve? I got one more here, and this is yep. kind of interesting because it's uh, the French resistance woman shown at the start of the film is played by Irina Demick, who was Daryl F. Zanuck's girlfriend at the time. And She's uh, somewhat uh, attractive. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, she is somewhat attractive. Interesting thing, she was born in um, uh, Pamuse, Sain, at something, someplace in France. Uh, but uh, she died in 2004 in Indianapolis, Indiana. Really? Oh, yep. Go figure that. Huh. So well, I've got a few little bits of trivia. Yeah. Uh, one was 
they contacted, they, they, they had an idea to have President Eisenhower play General Eisenhower. And they contacted him, and he expressed some interest, but by the time this was made, he'd, you know, he'd been president, had all sorts of strains, had a heart attack. Uh, he had aged a lot. So that's why they went to, you know, basically a guy that was hanging around the set, a support guy that looked just like him, who did a very good job. Of yeah, he did. Being yeah. Eisenhower in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, having said that, the age difference between Ike in the movie and Ike, the actor, if he would have done this, is less than that age difference between Vandervoort and the Duke. Yeah. Uh, another minor bit is uh, in the scenes where the paratroopers have come down, they're roaming around the swamps in the night, there's frogs in the background. Well, that was dubbed in. But they dubbed in American frogs. French frogs actually sound different. There's a joke there somewhere. No, no, it's a, it's a fact. <laughs> I know, no, I know. I'm just saying, though. No. There's also a joke there. I just can't come up with it. I, I know what you're saying. Uh, Instead of ribbit, do they say merit? merit? <laughs> oh, God, here we go. Oh, jeez. You got anything, well, Mark? I've got one. Okay. Kenneth Moore, who played Captain Colin Maud, you know, with, with, uh, come on, Winston. Yes. Come on, Winston. The shillelagh he carried in the movie was the one Maud actually carried, and he loaned it to him during the movie. Wow. Um, according to several German veterans, uh, Werner Pluskat, who is the one who, yeah. the great line, 5,000 ships, um, well, there are people who argue that he was not at his command bunker when the invasion started. Rather, he was at a bordello in Cannes. Well, that's where I'd be. Hey, you know, so maybe that scene of him driving in the Kubelwagen was <laughs> right. It was just flipped. <laughs> he was just, in, instead of going, he was coming. Yeah. From. They did do a pretty good job of getting period-authentic vehicles and such. Yeah, I thought they did a good job. Yeah. And the reason it's filmed in black and white was very deliberate. It was to make the stars appear younger. Oh. Yeah, interesting. Yep. Yep. Also, I there there were a few spots, if you got, I'm sure you guys caught it, where they just spliced in some newsreel photo, yep. whatever, at the time. Yep. And by using black and white, they could do that. It just seamlessly flows. Yep. And I, I give them credit. They got BF-108 trainers for the 109s. They tried. And they did get Spitfires from the Belgians. Um, so, you know, to your earlier comment, Steve, um, about the technical stuff, considering what they had to work with, considering the scope and scale, um, they... They did a very solid job. Also, I was impressed. This was a movie I noticed with the Germans. Not every German was carrying a Schmeiser. Right. Yeah. A lot of car 98s. Yeah. Which, yep. thank you. Thank you. Well, and they, uh, going to sort of what Steve said, you know, some of the Germans that get a fair amount of screen time, the lower level guys, you know, they don't fit your. Trope of, you know, 
stormtroopers or something. Right. I mean, again, like Gert Fro. I mean, fat guy on a horse carrying yeah. coffee. But you know, if you're in the German army and you're sitting on that beach, you would want coffee. That yep. guy had an important job. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So. Exactly. There's a ton to to our listeners that you know go to the IMDb page. We we literally have just scratched the surface, and it's all interesting. It's worth reading. The, the 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 trivia page for this movie because yeah. there is a lot of it. Yeah, tons of trivia, tons yeah. of it. All right, guys, uh, that is that. Uh, that's it for trivia. So let's um, uh, let's move on to uh, one of our favorite parts of the show, and that would be uh, brother, what you drinking? Mark, why don't you uh, why don't you kick it off? Okay. It's have? a school night, so yeah. I'm only having one. Um, but Bell's came out with a new beer, and we like Bell's so. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to find something like which you've got that great patent beer, but I couldn't find any beer fitting the movie. So I picked up a Bell's. This is called their Oatsmobile Ale, and, <laughs> Oatsmobile. and yeah, Oatsmobile, and it's got a it's got a happy brown horse trotting along. It's a session pale ale brewed with oats. Nice. Yeah, it's it's a nice. Um, it's it's very crisp. It's got a little of the oaty flavor on the back, but it's not thick. And since it's a session ale, it starts out a little hoppy, but it finishes finishes very nice. So it's a it's it's again it's a great entry from from Bell's. It's a very crisp session, um, but not one of those uh, sweet tart, you know, suck your lips in right. IPAs. It, it's a nice balanced. Um, you want something a little little with some nice flavor and a little heavier than um a light summer beer. This is this is a real nice one from Bells. It's a it's a different offering. Um and it's nice to see Bells is not going full throttle down down the road of everything must be over hopped like so many other breweries seem to keep wanting to do. Okay. Um so the Oatsmobile Ale uh session IPA, I highly recommend it. Like it. Very nice. Yeah. Well uh I am I am drinking this has actually been sitting in my cooler for a couple of weeks and I picked it up and it is from uh I, I've been showcasing these guys quite a bit lately. Uh for my good and dear friends up at the uh, Three Floyds Brewing Company Ooh. in Munster. So I picked up uh I've never seen it before, but it is called the the Wig Splitter Coffee Stout. Ooh. Yeah. It's um it's a dark one as you could tell mm-hmm. by the stout. Uh, it's pretty good. It's um, it's got a hint of the imperial in it, but uh, not too bad. It's there's there's not a whole lot of hoppy kick, but it does remind me a little bit of an imperial stout. Uh, nice, nice tan, creamy head on this one, um, and it's it's going down very well. How's the balance between coffee and? It's good. This is this is a pretty solid coffee stout. It's probably. Um, <sighs> It's probably gonna be one of my favorites, but at the price, it's gonna be a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not cheap. Yeah, it's a it's a twenty two ouncer, and I think this thing was like eight ninety nine. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a you know buy one save it. But uh, no, it's it's very good. I highly recommend it. I mean, anything by Three Floyds is, is yep. pretty good. Uh, you know, overall. So to ask you a question, yep. I guess this means that you are not kicking off the summer of shitty beers this weekend 
well, I no, not this weekend, not for the show. But believe me, I was kicking oh. off the shitty beers big time uh, over the weekend. Oh, is that why you were laid up on your couch this morning? Yeah, I mixed it with some other stuff. And you, you can't mix good beer with shitty beer. It's like it, you no. might as well just have wine and do some uh, tequila chasers. No. Nights. So. No, you it should know better. You're a professional. officially having summer shitty beers on the show? Uh, I can go back to it. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, my next-door neighbor, Karen, when she see me walking over with a PBR, she said, if I ever find Old Style, I'm buying it for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if you can find it anymore. I, I did. I said, I don't think they make it anymore. <laughs> You you need to you need to kick you need to reintroduce All the right. summer shitty beers. We will introduce reintroduce the summer shitty beers. Um, I I will do that next show. We will have. I think the listeners appreciated it. Oh yeah, it Mark and I like to mock you for it. So. Oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, somebody's got to keep it real around here. Look, anybody you put on your face or our Facebook page, you put PBR, which is one thing. You put freaking tall. You bought tall boys. <laughs> I mean, my God. Hey, they were five ninety nine, man. Come on. Uh, uh. <laughs> hmm. All right. So there you go. That's uh. But yeah, we'll be we'll be bringing it back. All right. Awesome. I'll be, I'll, I'll be bring I'll be bringing sexy back, boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not get carried away. <laughs> All right. Uh, and last and certainly not least, it's now time for catching up with Ken. All right, Ken, what's the highlights? <laughs> well, you'd think with the big holiday weekend between the two, our last podcast that I have all sorts of exciting stuff to talk about, but not so much because the weekend was spent mostly uh, helping my mom move. So I did a whole lot of packing and moving. Uh, did have a big reunion dinner at a friend's house that I went, you know, had a group that we went to Italy. I think I talked about that months ago. We had a reunion dinner, got together with the group, had pasta and red wine and hung out. It's good seeing everybody again. That was a a fun time. Uh, Over the holiday weekend, uh, probably the most noteworthy thing I did was on Saturday night, uh, went up to Bella Vida. I've been going up there off and on. I for, for people that aren't from this area, Bella Vita is a, you know, restaurant bar up by the marina at Geist Reservoir. And it's, it's got a different crowd. I can fake into that crowd. I don't really blend. I don't really belong with that crowd. Do you guys agree? What's the crowd? Well, it's, mean a that... crowd, it's a crowd when, you know, I'll, I'll go in there and I'll plop at the bar. This is what I do. You know, plop You're talking about the, the outside, guys? I'm looking, you know, nice breeze, beautiful people, beautiful water, beautiful day. But, you know, I'm surrounded by people and all, everybody's talking about, well, well, my deal went like this. My boat cost me this much. My cars, oh. I don't care for them. Uh, my lake house, uh, my Botox technician. You don't know how hard it is to find a good Botox technician. Uh, so I had a good time. And then no, thankfully I do not. I got there early and then my friends that I was meeting there showed up. I know it was, a, they, it was called their beach blast. I mean, they had, you know, DJs and, you know, you could come in your swimwear and, you know, dance and, you know, it was a big techno music show. So we hung out there for a while. I enjoyed the show. You know, saw some people I knew. And, uh, then we went to the, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound snobbier than it is. One of the guys goes like, we need to go to the yacht club. 
So we all went down to the Indianapolis Yacht Club. Uh, now, yes. Mm-hmm. The, no, no, the Judge Smales there? <laughs> <laughs> Judge Smales was not there because the Indianapolis Yacht Club is in Ravenswood. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there up there. Mm. Now, Ravenswood, for lack of a better word, would it be fair to say the people who live in Ravenswood are river rats? Um, You, you know, the... The banjo it's, music from um, banjo, yes, yes, from Deliverance. Yep, yeah, that's, that's I mean they got it. They got a good track to land for the club because it floods periodically. Yeah, every time but it rains, it's, it's basically a social club on the river. They got a big deck. They had live bands. Had greasy food, tater tots. So yeah, we 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 wound up the evening hanging out there, listening to music, and eating our chicken fingers and tater tots. So that was my highlight for the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, then, you know, spent a lot of time moving and all that kind of stuff. Uh, last night I went down to the Colts Grill for a friend's graduation party. Uh, she got her master's in accounting. She wanted to have a celebration. So a bunch of us got together, had, you know, hung out there, had dinner. It's a good dinner. I'd never been to the Colts Grill down there by the circle. And then we went down to Yard House. I think you guys have been to Yard House. I think we went down there like last gen. Yeah. 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 I mean, a massive assortment of beers. I was just drinking uh, rum and diets. But one of the girls there, who is a big beer drinker, uh, the the bartender thought that she ordered a half yard of stout. <laughs> what that means is, you know, it's a glass about, what, two feet tall? Yep. She just wanted a half pint. like, so basically, we split this thing. Uh, one other final thing I, I failed to mention: back on uh, Friday of Memorial Day weekend, I had my Bar of the Month gathering down at the old Red Key Tavern. Uh, oh Red God, Key yes! Shirt. It's like it opened up like the day after Prohibition ended. It's a local institution; been there for years. Great bar, actually. Quirky. They got rules like yep. the rule, can't move. They you know, got rules posted like don't move the table. Of course, I didn't notice the rules until I'd moved all the tables. So, uh, but not, nonetheless, Red Key was a fun time, and uh, I can recommend it to people that are in this area. It's always listed as one of the top bars in Indianapolis. Um, you know, anytime anybody puts together one of those lists, and I think you know, part of it's well deserved. I mean, it's 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 just your standard neighborhood bar caters to that area and uh, had great hamburgers. I mean, you know, I'll just say that the hamburgers were awesome. So that was the high points with me. Right now, I'm drinking vanilla vodka and Diet Coke. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I had no idea that was coming. Mm. <laughs> well, I was going to have Never a million years. Diet, but I'm out of crown. Oh, gosh. All right. Okay, well, there you go. That's it with uh, Brother What You Drinking and uh, Catching Up with Ken. So let's move on to clips. Clips, our favorite part of the show. And let me find my clip thing here. I have a, I have a folder with clips in it. Okay, let's see. Number one. You expect us to eat this slop again? I don't care what you do with it, Mac. Eat it, throw it out. I get paid for cooking it. Come on, put it out. Ah, there you go. Mm. Food. Well, I can guarantee you in 1962, my neighborhood was full of men who could have identified with slop off of a chow line. Yep. <laughs> yep. I bet. 
All right, uh, number two. 200,000 of them out there on those ships. They're probably seasick as hell. You realize that some of those men have been on those tubs for almost three days? I say go. Go, weather or no weather. Yeah. You can hear that rain in the background. Yep, the first yep. part of this movie is a very rainy movie. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Uh, all right, uh, Mark, you'll like this one. He's bought it? Ack, ack, over Kelly. He jumped clean, but his parachute didn't open. Ack, ack. over Kelly. And if you notice, yes. And, you know, the other thing, if you notice in the background, and it's it's interwoven, is that music. That music is very prominent. If you hear that, that song... Uh-huh. Yes. You know, you know, you're you're hearing the the opening credit music for um, the longest day, right? And it, it's interesting how they they interweave it in different parts of this movie, mm-hmm. like and, that. And, and speaking of, just kind of go back to actors with unique voices. Burton is another one. Yes. As soon as he starts talking, you know who it is. I mean, you could be in a dark room, and it's like, oh, that's Richard Burton. So, all right, uh, next one, gentlemen. The day we've been waiting for has arrived. Invasion! We're on our way. Yes. All right. Uh, let's see. Number five. What's that? Well, a V for victory sign. Three dots and a dash. Da, 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 da. Hey, ain't you never heard Beethoven spit somebody? Beethoven. Beethoven. Ah, Beethoven. Beethoven. Yeah. Uh. All right, let's see. Uh, number six. Hey, duck! Duck! Duck, what the hell are you doing over there? That's the German side. Sir, anybody can make a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and there is there's slight humor, and it's all on the Brit side. Because it's yep. just that, you know, very dry, stiff upper lip type of humor, which I think is cool. When I love the one where the para is, sees all of a sudden... Uh, the, the Episcopal priest yeah, pop up. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta find my equipment. Yeah. Good Lord. Well, this movie does have it. You know, there's a lot of good scenes early on. Well, actually, in the middle of the movie, revolving around Pegasus Bridge. Yes. And uh, they're making a. Uh, is it a miniseries or a movie? I'm not about, sure which. Yeah. They're, they're coming out. I saw a blurb. I think it's a movie about Pegasus Bridge. Uh, with a, you know, basically a British, they, they did, dubbed it as a, like a British private Ryan type thing. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be, a, it'll be interesting to see when that comes out, how it contrasts to this. Right. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, I think they filmed the Pegasus Bridge scenes on Pegasus Bridge. They may have. I'd have to go back and look. And, and, and to kind of go back real quick, just to mention about that, you know, the guys lining up Pegasus and all this stuff, it's, it, I, I always thought that was um, trying to find the right words, but I mean, it it had to have been in a way kind of terrifying, um, you know, for the paras after they landed, after the paratroopers landed and, you know, you're behind enemy lines. You don't even know if this thing has gone off. Right. You, you have no idea if we've even landed on the beach, if we got pushback, when are we going to get relieved? Do they even know where in the hell we're at? Because we don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't even imagine a more mentally distressing um, moment where you're, it is, you're, you're 
well behind enemy lines. And you have absolutely no, if that invasion didn't go off, I mean, you're, you're a POW now, if you're lucky. So, mm-hmm. but anyway. All right, uh, let's see, uh, next one. Bustin. Again, got to love that British, uh, that very British dry humor. Yep. <laughs> Missed the drop zone. Yep. Landed in the headquarters. Yep. Okay, uh, let's see. Here's this one. We've got to put these things down somewhere. The sooner you people get off the beach, the sooner they'll stop this blasted shelling. It's very bad for the dog. Winston. Winston. Come, Winston. Down, Winston. Yes. It's, it is the. You can, I could feel the drool coming off that British bulldog just yep. watching him sitting there. Yeah. He wasn't happy. You no. Tell, he was not he a happy kid. dragged everywhere through the sand. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, he was dragged. Cause he wasn't moving. Those legs just sat there. It's like, no, you're going <laughs> to drag me. I'm not moving. Don't like well, I also boys. love, you know, speaking of those beach scenes, the, uh, the the carrier pigeon scene. Oh, yeah. oh yes. <laughs> you traitors. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Last and certainly not least, and this is the one I've been waiting for. There he goes. He's at it again. Did you ever hear such a bleeding racket in all your life? Yeah, it takes an Irishman to play the pipes. Well, say it. Because you know where the pipes are from. Because they're from Scotland. And it was all Scottish as crap. Well, I think it wasn't that Sean Connery. It was Sean yeah. Connery. That's yeah, kind of the Where was he born? He was born in Scotland. <laughs> you don't have to egg him on. No, it is funny. Yeah. It, you know, what I yep. realized, you know, this is, you know, just, he's a bit player on this thing. And yeah. then, like, a year or two later, he's Mr. Multi-Megastar. Yep. Well, he was doing... Um... He he left this shoot to go do Dr. No. Yeah. Dr. No yeah, was he... right after this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because that was... The first Bond movie. Yeah, his first one, so... Yep. But yeah, yeah but, I, just, I, mean, I, I just think that's... And it's amazing, because again, he's, you know, you know, a top, top dog now, and it literally was yep. a bit part for him. So... Yep. Yeah, like I said, though, I mean, as a little kid, there was a set, you know, several times I'd be watching these old war movies with my dad, and, and you know, they didn't have it in this movie, but if you watch all those old like desert rat movies, that oh were yeah, coming out back then, I'm sure I turned to my dad and went, "Daddy, why is that man making all that noise wearing dress? <laughs> wearing a dress? Why is he wearing a dress in the desert? Won't the Germans hear him coming?" <laughs> It's a British thing. Yeah. Oh, British thing. It. You wouldn't understand. Hey, real quick, guys. Yeah. What, what were, you know, this is a sprawling epic. If, if there was a scene that really stood out for you, what was it? I'll tell you mine. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. It's the uh, Pipson is wingman strafing Juno Beach scene. <laughs> That's a huge scene. It's a and for listeners, it's you know you you slowly little scene by little scene built up to the fact that these two Luftwaffe pilots they've been ordered you got to go you know basically you two have to go stop this invasion. So they fly off. They think they're going to their death, and they go and they strafe the beach. 
But it is a long scene. Yeah. And like I said, there's like a brigade worth of troops fleeing while they strafe and explosions. And it's a low-level strafing run, and it's filmed beautifully. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only minor problem is, is right at the end of it, it's like, you can tell it's like, oh, well, we ran out of extras, and now the the beach is over. Right. <laughs> but, oh, or maybe that's just the end of Sword or Juno Beach. I don't know. But uh, I thought that was a well-done scene, and it really demonstrated the uh, the uh, all the work on that cast of thousands we were talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. I do have to make one dig at this movie, speaking of the cast of thousands, and that is I don't think that every time there's a breakthrough on the beach that the cast of thousands all jumped up simultaneously and were like, ah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they had a few of those scenes and it's like, no, I think they sort of did, you know, advancing with cover rather yeah. than just getting up and yelling and running. Like well, when the ramps dropped on the on the landing craft. Yeah. We yeah. all charge it. No you didn't. Well that wow. was like you saw the same thing when the French were trying to take that uh casino building. Yeah. And it's just all next thing you know, they've got and it's this really big uh overview, you know, this you know, they obviously in a helicopter or something over panning and it's just hundreds of guys just running and I'm thinking the Germans are going, Oh, this is this is target rich environment here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Fire mean, up the MG forty two. Yeah, boy. it's like I mean none of those guys would have ever made it. But it's but it was just like this mad charge of, of troops, which you know, it looks epic. But yeah. in yeah, reality they would have all freaking died. You know, that's what the Russians used to do, which is why they lost 20 million people. <laughs> so what about you, Steve? Um, I'd say what my favorite one was, I, I think I'd have to be watching kind of the initial landings on Omaha because, you know, when it first, when, you know, when they first started landing on there, you know, it looks, uh, you know, it was more of a close-up shot and everything. And as they started, span, you know, panning out, it's like, oh my gosh, there's more and there's more. And that's where you really get, you know, the the incredible sense of how big this movie was and how many people are involved. I mean, that's that is really the thing that got me about this one, um, about that particular scene is just the size and scope. Mm-hmm. So that that's just really what jumped out. Yeah, I thought the one for me was, and you've refer- we've all referenced it, the the whole attack at Wiesterheim on the casino. Right. You know, that epic helicopter shot of the attack all the way through, you know, the, the French are going to get overrun or blown away and the nuns appear. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's well done. And then the tank shows up and the whole building just goes down. I mean, that whole... That whole that whole set piece battle was just very impressively shot. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely uh, some incredible shots in this movie. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the cinematography in this is just spot on. I mean, it's some of the best you'll see. Yeah, and it won a number of Academy Awards, and I think one of them was for cinematography. I'd yeah, have I to. Wouldn't, I wouldn't that. doubt it. So. All right. Well, there you go. That is it with. Um, I said with clips, and now let's move on to another one of our favorite uh, parts of this show, and that is the uh, the top movies of uh, let's see, this was 1962, I believe. Ken, can you take it away? I will. All right. 
Uh, before I uh, get to the top ten, I'm just going to mention a couple movies uh, that came out that year that were pretty successful. Now, a, a neat thing is when I'm doing, you know, I like doing these top tens or top movies way back, like when we did the Vikings, because we're talking about movies that aren't really on people's radar screens. It's a whole different era. Right. Uh, so I'll start out with one, which is Taurus Bulba. Oh, my gosh. Yul Brenner and Tony Curtis. It's about uh, Cossacks fighting off the evil Poles. Yes, I've seen that. Ukraine. I've seen that movie. Uh, Yul Brenner, you got it. You know, he's, he's a manly man. That's all there is to it. Yep. Uh, at number 17, another movie with the Duke. One of his better ones, I think. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Oh, another good movie. Oh, yeah. John Wayne, James Stewart, Lee Marvin, and Vera Miles. Yep. A great movie, great cast, uh, and a good story. Yeah. Uh, at number 12, uh, famous movie. One that makes, uh, most I think it's fair to say that most uh, parents of teenage girls shiver a little bit when they hear this movie. Lolita with James Mason. <laughs> can't can't say that I've ever seen it. Shelley Winters, Sue Lyon, and Peter Sellers. Mm. Again, James Mason runs off with a 13-year-old and does what he does to mm. it. It was very controversial in its day. Gee, it's... Will be controversial in this day too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't think most parents would. I, I think if something similar happened, like say to Mark, um, James There's... Mason's character wouldn't be long for the world. No, I've got a creek, a shovel, <laughs> a sinkhole. You got a sink. I got a sinkhole. <laughs> yeah, pre-made. <clears throat> yep. And number eleven, a movie, a great movie, I think, one that. Again, it seeped into pop culture. I make that comment a lot. The Manchurian Candidate. Oh, yeah. yeah. The original Frank's, is great. Oh, the yeah. original, Frank Sinatra, Lawrence Harvey, Janet Lee, and Angela Lansbury is the evil agent. Yeah. I, I won't, I've never seen the remake and nope. have zero desire to. That That yeah. is not a movie that needs It's like, to why, why, again, why? as well as why remake it? Yeah. Yep. There was no reason to. No, um, except to cash out. Yeah. Yep. You're, you're bankrupt. Yeah. Don't make well. That's my. I, I keep saying it. Okay, if you if you're bankrupt and you can't, I mean, you're mentally bankrupt. You can't think up an original idea. And you got to like remake some classic movie. Just change the name of the characters. Right. I mean, you know, you don't have to say it's a Manchurian Candidate. You just say uh, the. You can say it's The Force Awakens. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can do whatever. Here we go. Uh, start at <laughs> the top ten list though. At number ten. Getting back to what I said about how this is an older day. The movie was Bon Voyage. Remember that one, guys? No. No. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. It was a Fred McMurray Disney family comedy. Ah. Okay. Uh, at number nine, Gypsy with Natalie Wood and Carl Malden. By Gypsy Rose Lee, the, I guess, well, stripper would be the proper career path to describe. At number eight... Uh, a movie that had some uh, similarities in cast with the movie we're reviewing, Hatari. Oh yeah, John Reigns, Elsa Martinelli, and Red Buttons in Africa catching rhinos. It's a such. fun little movie. Yeah. I mean, it it's, is. It's. And I think you would agree that 
Steven Spielberg ripped it off. With? Which did uh, Jurassic World, not Jurassic World, what's Jurassic Park 2? Oh, yeah. Where the, the, they went to catch, the, the elite hunters went to catch the dinosaurs. Well, that's what Hattari is about. John Wayne, and the, he's got a crew that goes out into the African wilds and captures yep. the rhinos and things like that. Uh, at number seven, a highly regarded movie, one that I was re- told to watch when I was in law school, To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gregory Peck, Mary Badham, Phil Alford, and Robert Duvall. Famous yep. courtroom scene and uh, you know commentary on race relations. Yep. At number six, another manly movie. It introduced me to the Cat Nine Tales. Oh. Mutiny on the Bounty. Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh. Marlon Brando, Trevor Howard, and Richard Harris. Real quick, did you guys see that one? Oh, yeah. The, or- the original? Well, the, the one that or I just... Or the Bounty with Mel Gibson. I saw the Bounty with Mel Gibson. Mutiny on the Bounty is a solid movie. Yeah. Did you see... Now, what did you think of the Bounty with Mel Gibson? Um, well, it's told from a somewhat different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. It, I, meh, yeah. You know. Okay. You there? You go. You you've answered exactly how I felt about it's it. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know how this ends. Yeah. I well, it wasn't even that. It wasn't because I knew how it ended. Because it just anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. I I just well, was curious. The, the the problem with Mutiny on the Bounty is they always focus on Fletcher Christian, the right. leader of the mutineers. The hero of the story is Captain Bly. Yeah. Yeah, because the bounty sure as hell didn't show him as a hero. No. No, no they, they neither did Mutiny on the bounty. I mean, he's just, you know... He just says The evil. old Churchill quote about rum, buggery, and the lash yeah. is like... I mean, that's, that's who he is. I mean, he just whips people for no... But the thing is, I mean, that's that was the British Navy in those days. Yeah, I mean, he was on the you know the far side of the world, right? All that stuff. Uh, at number five, a movie is about a town that had trouble. I'm talking about trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes for P, and that stands for pool. Music man. Is that Dick Van Dyke? No, Robert Preston. Robert oh. Preston. Shirley Jones, Ron Howard, yeah. and Buddy Hackett, and Paul Ford. Yep. The music Man was a big, big hit back in the day. It had, you know, it was a big Broadway hit. It's a musical. I actually went and saw my niece in Music Man. She was did it in high school, or in grade school, rather. At number four, That Touch of Mink. One of the many, or several at least, Cary Grant, Doris Day romantic comedies yeah. that cranked out back in these days. Oh, okay. At number three. Now, at number three, of course, this is a movie that made really popular, made lots of money. I'm sure you guys remember this one, too. In Search of the Castaways. What? Huh? Who the and hell was in that? Haley Mills and Maurice Chevalier. It's a Disney kids adventure movie. Uh, okay. Disney was doing well back in these days. Yeah. Keep moving. At number two is The Longest Day. Uh, yeah. With all the people we talked about. Uh, again, made 
almost $40 million. And at number one, a movie, a beautiful movie. I watched it just about uh, two or three months ago. A little controversial, but obviously uh, famous for a lot of things. It did very well. Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, arguably one of the most beautiful films ever shot. Yes. How, how they take a desert and make it look beautiful. Yeah. It's hard, but they do it. It's, it's an interesting story. I mean, it's fictionalized. It's not like <laughs> historical. You know, it's it's like we're talking about well, this. Longest Day is a lot more historical than Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia yes. takes liberties with the story, but nonetheless, a great story. Very well done. It's got Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, Anthony Quinn, Jose Ferrer, and Alec Guinness. Yep. But all star cast. So that was the top movies of uh, 1962. You know, speaking of Alec Guinness, how the hell was he not in this movie? He <laughs> was approached, and I think it was because he was doing um, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, they were filming this, if I'm not mistaken, like in. I mean, they filmed it in the desert. I'm not yeah. sure. I think this is one of those where they couldn't get him. Okay. Yeah. Well, very good. That uh, that's pretty interesting, and and can I agree with you? I like. Uh, I like doing the top ten. I think it's enjoyable. I know we probably do some repeats from time to time, but uh, especially like these older movies, I think it's pretty interesting because you are getting uh, some exposure uh, to movies that I'm sure a lot, especially, you know, to a lot of our listeners who are uh, younger than us because, you know, these movies came out before we were born. Well, maybe some of us. At, at least at least me. I know I was I mean I was you know yeah, I was I was a babe. <laughs> yeah. You were just I can tell you I saw like I went and saw in search of the castaways. I saw, you know, Bone Voyage. Okay. Because that's I'm what sorry. When you were a kid, that's what I mean, it's still that way. You know how it is. I'll, I'll throw it out to Mark. I mean when the when certain oh, kids' movies comes out, uh, you gotta take the kids to see yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it was yep. like that with all of us. So yep. All right. Yep. Well, very well done. Uh, thanks, Ken. Those are um, those are some interesting ones for that period. Some I've never heard of. So cool. All right. Uh, so it is now time to move on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great ta- fa- <laughs> of this great fantastic film. Yeah, beer's not that powerful. Wow. I'm not sure what's going on there. Sorry about that, gentlemen. All right. Let's see. Uh, number one. Uh, did anyone jump out of a window? I know a lot of windows got blown out, especially a lot at Frenchman's house. got styles. blown out. Did some guys jump through a window in the uh, Wiesterham assault scene? No. No? The windows were all gone. Yeah. They just okay. went yeah. through a hole. All right. Like I said, that that wherever they filmed that, they worked that over. I mean, they went to some town and just yep. with a you know, case full of dynamite and blew the thing to hell before the guys even got there. Yeah, right. I don't remember any. Uh, the mirror got busted in the yeah. Frenchman's house, but yeah. his he didn't have windows; he just had shutters. Yeah. So, well, all right, we'll see. People leaning through windows. All right, we'll we'll, nope. we'll leave that one alone. All right, well, hold it, hold it. Oh, here we go. That paratrooper crashed through the roof of the greenhouse. Oh, oh, yes. Very nicely done. Well done. Well played, Ken. Well played. 
Nice. And by the way, who doesn't realize that they put their boots on the wrong feet? Okay. It's the just, stress of combat. Just, 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 he just woke up. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I don't want to go on. All right, number two. Actually, I, I hate to say it. If I was asleep and all of a sudden, like, D-Day was happening outside my house, I might put on my boots and forget to put on my pants. <laughs> that would be a good look. Yeah, it would be. All right, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in this movie? No, there was not many women. No. In- there was the one, the the one main one, not counting the, yeah. you know the clerks and all that in the background, but uh, uh, the um, Daryl's Zanuck's, uh, yeah, the resistance yeah. lady who um, was not shy about showing cleavage. My goodness no. gracious! No. Well, she was. Actually, on a mission to distract the Germans. Oh, she was distracting them, all right. Oh yeah, she was distracting everybody else watching the movie too. So. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put in a plug. That Mother Superior was probably tougher than half these generals on the beach. Oh well, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're marching here. Yeah, yeah. And I, and they actually had a better marching cadence than uh, probably some <laughs> of the troops too. All right, next. Son of a bitch must pay. All right, was there a son of a bitch in this movie, and did he pay? Well, I guess basically the German army, if they were going to say the German army was the SOB, but yeah, they paid. The Fuhrer was sort of a son of a bitchy guy, and he uh, he, he definitely paid. Yeah, he definitely paid, too. You didn't even see him, though. No. No. Thank God. All right, let's see, number four. <laughs> was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? I didn't hear. And I'm telling, you, I'm telling you, I saw at least five parts where there should have been. Should have been. <laughs> Guys coming off the cliffs at uh, Ponta Hawk and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Guys following you off the bridge and the yeah. water. It's like, man, this was this was ripe for the yeah. world well scream. All right. All right. Let's see. Next. Could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? Well, she could have pulled it off because when it comes down to basically wearing a skimpy dress and showing lots of cleavage and riding a bicycle, yeah, I'm betting Tawny could. I just don't know how her French is. I'm not sure either. Yeah, that that could be a limiting factor. Yeah, they could have they could have dubbed it. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Next. Was there an A team montage in this movie? I don't think there was a classic. No, yeah, there was. I mean, you saw like some stuff, but it wasn't the it wasn't the classic montage. It's it wouldn't it wouldn't fall into the category as I as I saw it. No. Okay. uh, Again, to uh, in in honor of our uh, good and dear friend Jeff. Sorry, I'm late, guys. I was taking a crap. Would Jeff find the female role in this movie? moderately attractive or not he would say it but i think we would all agree that she was attractive yes yeah i think she's pretty hot i mean the no again mother superior not so attractive well she was a stern but you know Mm. not attractive Mm. okay you don't get to be mother superior by being attractive thank you (laughs) no but yeah if we're talking about actually i think it's a strike against you i think that doesn't happen (laughs) yeah well and i will say that uh 
they 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 tried to stick to the book, to the dialogue and incidents from the book. This is a movie that easily they could have ginned up some romantic story or something like they did, like when we did Battle of Britain. Okay, oh, we need a we need a woman to have a romance with one of these guys. They didn't do that. I mean, yeah, there's women in the movie doing various things, but uh, basically they're just in there doing their, just showing their little part in the invasion. Right. Yep. All right. All right, guys, last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? You know, nothing left out at me, and since it had a cast of thousands, they all would have been either dead or very decrepit. I didn't look that closely, but I'm going to say I feel fairly confident the answer is no. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much agreeing with you there. I didn't really see anybody... Um, yeah, no one jumped out that I remember from special guest stars or anything. Yeah. So I'm going to say no. I concur, sir. I, mm. I don't believe there was anybody there uh, as well. So interesting. There you have it. All right. Well, there you go. That is it with the uh, the Man Cave Move Review checklist. It is now time to move on to the Man Cave Move Review of this great and fantastic film. So... All right, gentlemen, who's got it? I think I took the last one, so. Ken, take this one. I did take it, Mark. I took one before. Uh, all right. So, you know, we've we've touched on this. This is a grand, sprawling epic. It It is, for the time and the period, uh, well done. It's a who's who of Hollywood, which, as we noted, I think in some ways can be somewhat distracting. It follows... Um, it uses uh, Cornelius Ryan's very well-done book. Um, and for people who haven't read Ryan, real quick sidebar, Ryan, he was able to interview people because when he wrote most of his books, they were all, the people he interviewed, many were living. And so his book is really, in some respects, a narrative history using extensive interviews from survivors. Uh, so that lends itself to the way this story is told, very narrative-driven by different different personalities. It's a very well-done movie for what it is and for the time it came out. You know, it is not Saving Private Ryan, um, but you would never have gotten Saving Private Ryan made in the 1960s. And, you know, Saving Private Ryan is a vignette of a slice of a period, same with uh, Band of Brothers. So I I kind of, I've had, there have been people who have said, you know, well, Saving Private Ryan's a better movie. No, it's a different movie. It takes place in the same time period, but it's a different movie from a different era. It's streaming right now on both Netflix and Amazon Prime. It is three hours, but it is not. it does not drag. It, it helps a little bit if you have an understanding of D-Day um, and Operation Overlord, but it's not required. You know, Zanuck pulled out all the stops. He, he got all the favors called in. He got for all of his actors. He got the Army, the Navy, the Air Corps, the Marines, the Coast Guard, and anyone else. Um, he got great locations, huge sprawling sets, um, great second unit directors who did the, the, the different French and American and German and British parts. Really, one of the things I think that makes this movie stand out that was 
um, a, a trendsetter for these types of movies was um, people spoke in their language. So the Germans spoke German. All in all, I, I still rank this movie as as epic um, war docudrama history movies go as one of the better ones out there. And again, A Bridge Too Far wouldn't have gotten made had it not been for this movie, and probably Tora 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 wouldn't have gotten made. So a lot of movies um, follow in its footsteps. It's it's not a perfect movie. There's some overacting. There's a number of minor quibbles and issues. It does jerk back and forth, and it can be a little hard to follow if you're not familiar with the the the, the outcome of the invasion. But all that said, for the effort and what Zanuck was trying to do, it didn't go Cleopatra, and it could have gone full Cleopatra, which would have been bad. It it, it is a very solid movie that is huge in its scope, and Zanuck pulled it off, got some great acting and some mediocre acting from some great actors, uh, and I will give this movie a solid eight. You know, it's still... People still know it. It if Amazon and Netflix are streaming it, then it's still got an audience. Um, I enjoyed watching it again. I think it would be very interesting to see this movie on a big screen um, because I think it obviously loses something on a smaller, even a fifty or sixty inch TV screen. Yeah. But I'm going to say this movie for everything it set out to do, it accomplished, and it it, it is a testament to old style movie making. So I'm going to give it an eight. Very well done, Ken. What do you think? I actually was going to give it an eight, too, uh, for a lot of the reasons Mark said. And also we touched on the fact this was historically accurate. I like historically accurate movies uh, based on a you know real book, real people, cast of thousands, you know, great cinematography. And sweeping in its scope. I mean, it, it's that whole thing as we were talking about. I mean, you're talking, you know, here's General Eisenhower, and then here's the, the dude delivering coffee on the beach. I mean, it's back and forth. To, I think they, they picked a nice spread of characters to highlight and show how how they acted in the invasion, how the invasion interacted with them, what little part they had to play or not. And it's, it's deep when, you, you know, you – you sort of lose track, like Richard Burton's character. I mean, is at the very beginning, you know, oh, Richard Burton's in this movie. And then, you know, two hours later, you forgot Richard Burton's even here. And then all of a sudden, there he is. I mean, how, how, how did D-Day treat him? Well, not so well. Uh, so I've got to say it's, it's well worth catching. If you haven't seen it, if you like these kind of movies, uh, we picked it because, you know, this is September, June the 5th. We're recording this. June 6th is the day of D-Day, which, you know, is tomorrow. So I, I believe if you haven't seen it, if you like historical documentary-type dramas, catch it. Uh, it's a blast from the past. You know, I watched it as a little kid. I watched it the other day, get ready, and I still enjoyed it. So I will give it an 8. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just to keep it consistent, I was going to give it an 8 as well. Uh, for a lot of the points that Mark and Ken both said, um, it, it's still got that nostalgic feel to me. I enjoy it. Yeah, it's not Saving Private Ryan, but it, that's a it's a totally different type of movie. So it's um, you know it's definitely worth it's definitely worth the view. 
And I'm sure, obviously, most of you guys who probably listen to the show have seen it. If you have not seen it, please go see it. It's, again, streaming on Netflix right now. So check it out. It is it is a solid movie. It's it's one of the best. And you get to see, like I said, a cast of thousands and, and a lot of really great actors that are out there. So eight. So I think, guys, we're, we're pretty much spot on with this one. It's very enjoyable, and I think most of the 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 man cave listeners are familiar with the movie and would probably agree with us on it. It's it still holds up. It's unique. It's also an it's also a unique piece of film history because this is not made. Movies aren't made this way anymore. Period. All stop. Oh yeah, it's you can't afford it. Right. I mean, this movie today would would be you, you, you couldn't could, do it. They wouldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, there's no point in doing it when you could just CGI it. Right. Um. So, but we've already talked about that. So, well, and I'll make a point about today, and that is for listeners who may be daunted by the fact this is like a three-hour movie. Yeah. I, you know, I've said it a number of times during the podcast. I've got no problem with a three-hour story if they got three hours. It takes three hours to tell the story. Right. It takes three hours to tell the story. It could have taken six, but due to the wonders of modern technology, if that daunts you on this. Well, it's streaming. You could watch an hour and a half one night, an hour and a half the next night. Yep. Right. All right. Well, there you go, folks. That is it with the Man Cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. And, um, <clears throat> guys, before I sign off, I want to um, kind of go off script here. I know, shocker. Mm. Just make a couple of comments. Uh, I know I've been a little remiss in the last uh, several weeks or or maybe the last month of responding to some of the comments and uh, suggestions we get on our Facebook page. But uh, we do have um, one of the newer listeners, and it, it's interesting because he had, uh, uh, his name's Cameron. Um, welcome, Cameron. Glad you enjoyed the show. I, I know you've been uh, listening for a while, but he mentioned a movie that I had been seeing, or I've seen streaming on, on Netflix, and it's called The Enemy Below. Oh yeah. I honest to God, I've never seen it. Oh and yeah. I'd never saw it before. So I saw he brought it up. He says that, you know, suggestion. It's, it's a pretty good movie. So I, I popped it in there, sat there. I mean, it was riveted, riveted watching this movie. Robert Mitchum yep. is in it. And, um, uh, great movie. I was, um, I was really kind of sucked into it. I mean, because to me, uh, sometimes naval movies can kind of, they can kind of get away from you. Or at least for me, that I should say. But this one really had me, really had me hooked, and I, I thought it was a great story. Uh, and actually, I appreciate the fact that he brought it up because I don't think I would have probably watched. It was just one of those I just thought, well, there's other stuff I want to watch, and maybe I'll get to it. But based on his suggestion, I did, and it's it's an excellent movie. I really enjoyed. Well, it. and as a quick sidebar, if you're a Star Trek fan. Um, and you've ever watched Balance of Terror, which is when you first meet the Romulans. Right. It's an homage to the enemy below. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see how that would be, but you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know what the hell, I've got a, I've got a frog in my throat today or what, but maybe I got a stuff. Is it a French frog or a <laughs> frog? I don't know. Maybe it's a Cajun. Merd. Merd. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know if I got to quit smoking cigars or what, but um, <laughs> oh well, that'll that and drinking PBR, huh? Yeah. So basically, the yeah. fire pit drove you to excesses. Your body, yeah, my body's kind of rebelling on me about this right now. So, but um, 
No, but we got a bunch of uh, we got a bunch of other commentary, but from some of our um, longtime listeners, uh, Mr. Wolski. Yes, we are going to do Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So just <laughs> stay tuned. Yep, we almost did it. We almost, almost we almost did it a couple times. Yeah, but uh, it will be coming soon. I promise. I promise it will. Just hang tight. We're going to get to it. Oh, guys, I have to. Uh, and uh, Mr. Beecham has up updated the uh, the Beecham files. You need so, to send us an update. I, I will be sending. I'll be forwarding that to you post haste. So, mm. uh, so uh, Frank, thanks for that. That we yes. we really do appreciate that because believe it or not, I, I am not kidding. We do reference it from time to time. Going, did we do that movie? Did we do that movie? <laughs> because I really have no idea. I've got all my stuff sorted in such a way that I have to actually go there by the year. Whereas in his spreadsheet, I could just type in the thing and I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah, there we did is. that, or no, we didn't. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, if um, you know, if I could get a staff, uh, yeah, we, we, that's <laughs> it. If I had an assistant, <laughs> yeah, that's what you need. <laughs> that's exactly what I need. So you can't afford a staff. Or can, how about a shillelagh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. I need a shillelagh. Or just a wand. Maybe that's all you rate. I'm not even sure I'd rate that. I don't. Mm. Really, I don't rate anything right now except abuse. But that's okay. I've been counting on hitting the lottery, and there's all sorts of things I can fund when that happens. So just How's that working for you? Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm okay. working on it. I yeah. won like 34 bucks there a couple months back. Well, I got $21 out of scratch-off. Hey. Hey. That's a lot of PBR. Oh, man. Where do you think it's going? Yeah. All right. Well, there you go, folks. That's, I just want to do a couple of commentary. And again, we uh, we do appreciate you guys listening to us. It's it's what brings us to the uh, the microphone uh, every other week. Uh, hope you guys are enjoying the show because I know we are. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, well, that's it. That is it with the Man Cave Move Review episode. Holy cow! It's one eighty three, gentlemen. Who would have thunk, huh? You you realize? Do the math. Seventeen. Yep, 17 more to well, go. I, I'm waxing my dog that night. What, on 200? I've got to, I've got to, I've got to buy a dog and get some wax first, but I'll find oh. something to oh, do. Oh, no, no. We're all going to ride that pony. I I didn't commit to this. I think I was out <laughs> that night. Okay. Well, I just, just as an offside, there was, it was about a month ago. I was downstairs. I was, I was painting up some, um, some, some Napoleonic 15 millimeters, and I just threw Zardoz on just for just uh, for shits and giggles. Own it? Yeah, I own it. I told you I own it. Oh God! So I, I had it's that on there. Cosmopolitan. And I am very cosmopolitan, and yeah. it's funny because uh, Emily and Martin walk downstairs, and Emily's talking to me, and then and Martin is like standing there, like staring at the TV, <laughs> slack jawed, and yeah, kind of his mouth yeah. kind of open, and Emily's asking, she was asking me something about. Before they went the before they went on their travels, and uh, you know we were talking. I look at Martin, and he looks at me. He goes, "What in God's name are you watching?" <laughs> yeah, goes, did you get to the part about the penises? No, I don't even remember where we were in the movie. He goes, "Why?" Uh, he goes, "Why is Sean Connery wearing a wearing speedo? a red diaper?" Yeah, he said, "Why is he wearing this big speedo?" I said, I "said Dude, you got to watch the movie." And he goes, "I don't think I want to watch this." <laughs> But it was hysterical. If I mean, if I had a picture of the look on his face, because he was just like staring at the screen, and I don't even know what scene was up or whatever. But he just like he goes, "What are you watching?" All right, well there you go. That's uh, 
<coughs> yeah, episode uh, 183. I got completely sidetracked again. There we go. See what you did to me, Slover. Yeah, that's that's it. It's all me. That's mm-hmm. all you. All right. Well, there you go. That is it with Man Cave Movie Review, episode 183. Check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com. And look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And leave us a comment. Tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. Uh, you can look for us on Facebook. And uh, if you uh, find us there and you like us, give us a like. Share us with your friends. And you can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until our next show, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark Ack-Ack Slover. I can honestly say that this podcast has not wounded my heart with a monotonous languor. <laughs> nice. Very well done. Hmm. All right. Also saying farewell, adieu and avida zan is our other good and dear friend, Ken Pips Roney. You're drunk. I'm sleepy. And Mark is dead to the world. <laughs> it's always like that. With, my, podcasts, with right? my shoes on the wrong. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, classic. All right. Well, there you go, folks. That's it with the Man Cave Movie Review for this episode. We will see you again soon. Until then, ciao.